Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's June 23rd, 1993, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. If you're a man listening to this, it's likely today's episode will cause you to cross your legs involuntarily because it was today in history in 1993 in Manassas Park, Virginia, that John Wayne Bobbitt and his wife, 22-year-old manicurist Lorena, first became household names when she frenziedly attacked his penis with a seven-inch kitchen knife while he slept then threw his organ out from the window of her moving vehicle. Yeah, and I mean, there are two people involved in this story, but obviously you're thinking, what happened to the penis? So I'm just going to get right out in front and say, the penis survived. Mm. Uh, She went to the nail salon where she worked, and from there she did call 911 where she told them what she'd done, and police then found the severed penis in, in the field where she'd thrown it from her car window. They put it on ice in a big bite hot dog box from a nearby 7-Eleven and then rushed it to the hospital where it was reattached in a nine and a half hour surgery. And we can confirm that it did get back into working order. Yeah, so John Wayne Bobbitt says that he woke up to discover that his penis had been cut off and one of his friends was sleeping over. That friend started screaming, apparently, as soon as he saw the blood going everywhere. Bobbitt was then driven by his friend to Prince William Hospital within 10 minutes, where he was, I guess, reunited with the member that had been picked up by the cops and put in that box on ice. And that's where they managed to actually sew it back on and get it back in working order. I mean, you wouldn't have thought he was a lucky man, given this context, but he was in various different ways when it comes to this surgery. One was that the wound itself had developed a clot, which prevented any extended loss of blood. Um, So if, if it had been just severed in a slightly different direction, it wouldn't be reattachable. He would have lost too much blood. And the other way in which he was lucky was there was a a highly qualified urologist able to do this plastic surgery just at his local hospital, although he had never reattached a penis before. Mm. And it was lucky, of course, that the uh, police, although I should be precise, it was a firefighter, in fact, had managed to find it in a grassy area at night, I mean, people weren't even precise on the police radios about what it was that was being looked for because people were nervous about saying the word penis on police radio. And it's quite an interesting... I mean, this case became interesting in all sorts of ways, but one of the ways was sort of the outing of the word penis across American media Mm. for the first time ever. Newspapers couldn't use a euphemism. They, they, They couldn't say organ. It just felt weird. They had to say, she cut off his penis and suddenly everyone was talking about his penis. Yeah, it was an immediate sensation, you know, partly for the reasons that you describe. And also, you know, even down to the details, you know, she maimed him with a Ginsu carving knife. And Ginsu was a mass market brand that was known for really OTT, you know, but wait, there's more TV infomercials. So it lent the whole thing that's sort of extra campy flavour. You know, it, it wasn't from the beginning. It, it wasn't as though it was something that had happened between two real people. It was, yeah. you know, it was late night talk show joke fodder. And even for more serious academics who were using it as an example of you know, feminism, domestic violence. It, it, again, it had transcended what had actually happened and the actual people involved and become a symbol. Yes. And just the name Bobbit. I mean, it's an unusual name anyway. But Bobbitt just symbolised what had happened to this man. But why were their names out there at all? Because there was a convention that victims of sex crime were anonymised in the news media then. 
and uh, she had been charged with malicious wounding, him with marital sexual assault. So why were their names out there at all? The reason was because she'd appointed the public relations manager. So the Washington Post, when they found that out, felt that she'd waived her right to anonymity. And really, before you knew it, the Bobbits were international stars whilst awaiting trial for heinous domestic violence on both sides. Yeah, so just a bit of background about who the Bobbitts were. So Lorena uh, Gallo, before she became Bobbitt, was born in uh, Ecuador. She had actually come to the US for the first time when she was 15, and Lorena's family had had this idea that they might try to emigrate to the US together, but when that proved impossible, Lorena ended up going alone. She got a student visa and came over to the US to study. She then met John Bobbitt at a club for enlisted men near the Quantico Marine Base. He was a Marine. And after a whirlwind romance, they married in 1989. But it quickly became a pretty horrific relationship. It was emotionally abusive and controlling and physically violent. They split up several times and kept getting back together. And on the night in question, they had just agreed to separate again. And uh, he had gone out, he'd come back. And she claims he raped her. And then just in this haze, she went into the kitchen, didn't entirely know what she was doing, but saw the knife and went back to the bedroom. And that's where she committed the act. Yeah, but John wasn't charged with rape. He was charged with marital sexual assault. And in 1993, that was the only thing that he could be charged with. Rape Mm. laws were separate from what were called, you know, marital sexual assaults. They weren't treated as being the same crime in the 90s. And actually, in Virginia, where the couple lived, Marital sexual assault was only a crime if the couple were separated or if it involved serious physical harm. And that exemption would stay on the books until 2002. It wasn't until 2002 in Virginia that raping your wife was treated as the same crime as raping a stranger. And also in court, her legal team had to focus on how he had assaulted her within the marriage in that five-day window. Anything outside of that was considered irrelevant. Mm. Whereas, of course... What became relevant later in her trial as to why would you do such a thing was that he had serially raped her over a number of years, numerous times. Um, But that wasn't relevant in the trial against him and he was cleared of all charges against him because there was no way of proving that he'd done anything that particular evening. And in the window between his trial and her trial, he was able to go out there as someone who'd been acquitted and really capitalise on his newfound stardom whilst awaiting the trial of his wife, who was going to have to go through all of these horrendous details of their marriage live on court TV because the judge had allowed cable television to film the proceedings. Yeah, and it was very much trial by media. And the thing that was really counting against Lorena in court was one particular statement that she had made to police shortly after her arrest, which was that she said, he always has orgasms and he doesn't wait for me to have an orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pulled back the sheets and then I did it. And there was this sort of sense that what she was trying to convey was some lack of sexual satisfaction or something that then came to make John Bobbitt himself emblematic for, you know, that idea that you had at the top, Ollie, about, you know, cross your legs now, gents, this is something that could happen to any one of us, that was kind of the media attitude that was being conveyed at the time. And actually, she was probably just in this complete state when she was taken in by cops and questioned by them. And what she was trying to say was something that stood for all of the horrors that she'd experienced over countless years. And it just came out in this 
way that sounded like a woman who was just sexually spurned or something. Yeah, I mean, at Lorena's trial, John's lawyers did concede that the marriage had been chaotic and abusive on both sides as they framed it. But they really characterised Lorena as the hot tempered wife who was motivated by jealousy. You know, he had numerous affairs as well and the lack of sexual fulfilment, really sort of leaning into the fiery Latina stereotype. Meanwhile, outside her trial, proper circus atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, I know we've said that before about numerous trials. We only cover circus-like trials. <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, there were cable TV trucks plastered all over this um, town in Virginia. There were T-shirts for sale um, with, like, bloodied knives on them. John Wayne Bobbitt was signing memorabilia that you could buy. When you consider the nature of what was being disclosed in the courtroom... It's such a jarring and unpleasant contrast. But also what was clear, I mean, we talked about temporary insanity before, haven't we, in our episode about Daniel Sickles. What was clear was because it was possible to frame it legally as temporary insanity, that's what the jurors ended up saying had happened and she wasn't guilty. But actually, there were jurors in the room who actually felt that she couldn't have been temporarily insane at that moment because so much of her story had lucid recall in it Mm. and she'd previously talked at work that she might chop off his penis and the reason she chucked out the car window is because she had it in her hand sort of a rational thing to do like I don't need this anymore Mm. and that she remembered lots of details so she couldn't have been they didn't really believe that she was temporarily insane but they felt incredibly sorry for her and you know, it's not on the statute books that you're allowed to attack your husband for serially assaulting you. You're supposed to go to the police and walk away. But she did, and they wanted to clear her and make her not guilty, so they found her not guilty through these means. Yeah, I mean, there was so much history as well of there not being domestic violence laws in place. You know, lots of families have a story about, you know, a grandmother or a great-grandmother who was, you know, treated terribly by a husband and turned around and, you know, smacked him over the head with an iron skillet. There was Mm. a kind of folk acceptance that women who were abused could snap in this situation and that because, you know, for generations there hadn't really been legal protections, that it was somehow okay if they resorted to those extra-legal methods. And also this case came against a backdrop of national attention on domestic violence. You know, it was really a transformational moment from domestic violence being seen as a private matter. The month before, the Senate Judiciary Committee had approved the Violence Against Women Act, which would be passed in Congress the following year. So this really came along at a time when people were starting to have these discussions about domestic violence as a matter of public concern. And also this tabloidy story still had this kind of comic edge, even when being discussed in the broadsheets. I mean, some of the headlines after she was cleared clear-cut case. Mm. Lorena cut loose. And, I mean, Lorena did some press afterwards, but mostly resisted offers to turn the whole saga into either a film or TV series. She also turned down a million dollars to pose for Playboy. I mean, what was Playboy even thinking approaching her? It's so shocking that that was at the top of their mind going, oh, well, there's an attractive lady. We should just (laughs) go and sign her up. And simultaneously that John Bobbitt went on to star in pornographic films, John Wayne Bobbitt's Frankenpenis, etc. The funniest thing, and like we say, there's a lot about this when you look into it that isn't very funny, but the funniest thing that has happened since all of this is that there's an undersea creature that's now known as the Bobbitt worm. Have you seen this? (laughs) No. (laughs) If you type Bobbitt into Google Images, I'm pleased to say the thing that you see is this undersea creature, which was featured in Blue Planet 2. Sort of terrifyingly kind of vaguely penile creature that lives at the bottom of the ocean and snaps its prey with fearsomely sharp teeth and then sucks them down underneath. It's come channeling in both images of John and Lorena, I think, in one animal. sounds fitting. And so another week of retrospecting ends. 
But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.